0: On it is because I am constantly working on it in my own life. It's exactly what I said to you. Uh, I, I preach to me and hope the shrapnel hits you. And um, I just i don't I just don't know if there's any more important issue outside of faith and salvation than than uh, or than relationships. And relationships really is the proof that our faith is authentic. and that starts with the people we're closest with, our family. I just want to say this really sincerely to all y'all, letting someone else, especially some of you, this is the first time you've met me, I come up all of a sudden, I'm telling these goofy jokes and stupid stories, letting someone else speak into your family, your kids, your marriage, uh, I just need you to know, I take that as a real privilege, I'm super grateful. Every family is different, every child is different, someone give me an amen. Yeah. Every season of marriage is different, someone give me another amen. And uh, just in the sense that you've received me, all the questions that you've had afterwards, the comments you've made, I'm just super grateful. Um, I hope you will take some substance from the Word of God and forget all the goofy stuff and find one or two things to go home with. To that end, I had a great conversation with someone during the free time yesterday, and we were talking about um, curriculum and content and how to get this discernment issue going on. That's probably the most important thing I taught on yesterday is helping your family become great thinkers, especially your children. And uh, they said, you know, what else could I study or what else could we talk about? And I got four book recommendations. This isn't on your note. I'm going to run these through really, really quick. Um, go ahead and put that first slide up. Um, Jesus Skeptic by John Dickerson is where I would start with my middle school to high school student. In fact, John has got a, um, a curriculum directly for high school students. John was... A journalist who investigated the claims of Jesus came to Christ. Now he's a wonderful pastor. The interesting thing is uh, Tom, who's on the board of Walk Through the Bible, was the one who introduced me to John at this camp two years ago. And John and I have become fast friends. I did almost 30 years as apologetics on college campuses. And I want to just tell you, as a connoisseur of apologetics, I read everything out there. For adolescents especially, this is the book, Jesus Skeptic, Go through the workbook. If you want to create a dialogue, um, make some study time with your children, but make it fun. Reward them with incredible food afterwards and have it be fun. But this is the curriculum I go through. Also, similarly, John's got another Foundations of Faith uh, book that he does. And I'll tell you, these are rare. I cannot find one I actually like. It's, they exist on two levels, way too academic and not evangelical and vigorous enough for me. I just can't find good ones and so John has came up with the last couple of years he goes through the song Jesus loves me and he teaches from an apologetic point of view and in what I would call an investigative point of view okay so it's not dictation it's dialogue have you thought about this what about this and he really just starts with Jesus who is Jesus why was he really here do you know there is no scholar liberal or conservative that uh, that Worth their weight, are respected in in any sort of circle in um, theological academia that believes Jesus didn't exist. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus existed, and and the extra biblical sources that we have that prove that Jesus existed. He existed at the time that the Bible claims he existed, and that he died on the cross in Jerusalem at that time. Liberal or conservative, all the experts believe in this. And John goes through this in a really accessible way. And then he talks about the love of God and he explains all of that biblically then he talks about you your nature human me and then he talks about why we trust the Bible Jesus loved me this I know for the Bible and he ends up with the inspiration of Scripture it's a phenomenal um, foundations of faith investigative study that's really good go to the next one this one's a little bit more advanced This is the problem of Jesus answering a skeptic challenge to scandal Jesus. I suggest you read this and use it as a way to create dialogue with the people that you love, that you want to move them forward. This is my really good friend, Mark Clark. He's at Village Church in Vancouver. Uh, I I would tell you to go check him out online, but once you hear him teach once, you're going to stop watching me preach at all. So I'm really nervous about that. He's just, he's a rare theologian and communicator and apologist. And this book, he's got another book called The Problem of God Equally as Good. This one is, I think, the best apologetics book written since Keller put out his books a a few years ago. Uh, And speaking of Keller, go to this next one. Um, The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy and Catherine Keller. This is the best theological discourse to get your marriage theologically centered. And it's super accessible. What I love about Keller is that he's a high thinker who pastors real people. That's a power combo. He's you know, you get these high thinkers, but they don't have real people in their life. And you got real people that maybe are not as educated and as smart. And Keller and Catherine, um, uh, Timothy and Catherine Keller bring this together. By the way, anything Timothy Keller writes, read that. Um, He is the C.S. Lewis of our generation. He really is. We will be reading what he wrote a hundred years from now. He started out in campus ministry just like I did. So I'm a little biased, but he's a genius. Okay, none of that time was counted against my time. That was extracurricular. (laughs) That was like a bonus. That wasn't part of your Mount Hermon registration. That was side uh, thing. So I wanna talk about doubt. We started talking about faith, then we talked about family, and then we talked about our kids and grandkids. And I wanna go back to talking about individuals. I wanna talk about doubt. I wanna talk about our doubt, and I wanna talk about the doubt of your friend. If I could say there's two issues that we've dealt with all through COVID and the cultural crisis, when people get honest. So the presenting issues are uh, this political thing or this financial thing, or this, that mask thing, Governor Newsom, he went to the French Laundry, uh, you know, and then you get underneath that. And the two things that I find are really, really um, an opportunity for us in this is broken relationships and doubt. So what I would say is, you know, COVID didn't cause the problems in your marriage or family. It exposed them. COVID didn't cause the problems in your church. It exposed them, right? Then the other thing is going, you know, I I can't tell you how many meetings I've had with people that said, this person I loved got ill and died during COVID. Kurt, I understand bad things happen, but it seems so unfair that right now. And so it just seems like when the pressure of COVID and all of the racial tension and cultural chaos we've had, when added to that, any one of the really difficult things we'll all walk through in life gets added, it creates profound questioning in us, right? Which is normal. What, what is doubt? Well, we're going to talk about this pretty clearly, but doubt is like a bad pie. Okay, let's do the survey right here. How many, uh, 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 I'm going to give you choice one and choice two. Choice one is cake. Choice two is pie. Everyone must vote. Everyone must go This is our last day. We're going to get honest with each other. Everyone must vote. I don't want anyone back there going, no pudding. No, that's not a choice. Cornflakes is not a choice. You're going to go one side or the other on this. There is, if you stand in the middle, you'll be, uh, it's lukewarm. You're going to be rejected by Mount Hermon. All right, all the cake people, raise your hand. Lord, help them. Lord Jesus, give them discernment. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, all the pie people, there we go. Yeah, see how fun the pie people are? Let me ask you cake people's question. Uh, have you ever had a dry pie? Have you ever had a pie sticking? You ever been at a wedding and you take a, that snag nasty coated with that vinyl frosting, whatever that is, and it's just stuck back here and you're like, punch! that, no, I am a pie person, which is why this practical joke worked on me so well. When I was a student, we went off to a student retreat, and um, everyone knew that I baked these pies, and there's another gal in our leadership team who baked pies, her name was Josie, and Josie said, my small group's going to bake a pie for everyone, and so they started baking during the free time, and the smells coming out of the kitchen were amazing, and I went in there, I'm like, what pie are you baking? She said, well, we're baking a lot of different fruit pies, but for you, Kurt, we're going to make a rhubarb pie. Now, anyone here had a rhubarb pie? Oh, yeah. This is my crew. This is my crew. Some people have not had rhubarb pie. And I just want—I wonder if they're in the kingdom. I really do. Um, my mom, who had the giant garden, right, had a huge rhubarb section. So we were rhubarb pudding, rhubarb jam, rhubarb pie, rhubarb tarts. I mean, every rhubarb thing because it was just we made too much rhubarb. And if you don't know rhubarb, let me tell you, it looks like red celery. Right? This is what it looks like. But it tastes like strawberries, a little bit tartar, and it's beautiful. So she said, I want to make you a rhubarb pie. I'm like, oh, you're my favorite, Josie. And so we get to dinner time. I just woof down the dinner. They bring out the pies. The whole room is smelling of apples and cinnamons and blueberries. And and they put the pie on our table. And this is a pie specially made for you guys. And I just dig into it and I put a piece on my plate and I put some whipped cream on it and I take a big bite. And I realize that she has not made a rhubarb pie. Instead of sugar, she has used salt. And instead of rhubarb, she has used celery. Did you ever put something in your mouth and you didn't expect it to be that thing? Like, like a salty celery pie is bad enough. But when you expected rhubarb, I did not realize the skill I had in projectile coughing of pie. Anyone here ever pick up a glass of water and it was Sprite? Or a glass of Sprite and it was water? There's something really disorienting when the brain expects one thing and life gives you another. This is essentially the dynamic of doubt. We expected our loved one to be with us the rest of our life. We expected our child to have this experience or that experience. We expected our marriage. We expected our church. We expected our world. And instead, we got something Not good tasting. And it causes us very naturally, very logically to ask questions. Okay, really quickly here, let's go through the context of our passage. We're in Matthew Chapter 11 again. I've given you notes back there. If you didn't get a note, um, there's a paper on the back page. You can grab that real quick or someone can hand it to you if you raise a hand. The context of Matthew Chapter 11 is twofold. Number one. This book, Matthew, is written largely to Jewish people. And it's important to understand that because what, what what Matthew is going to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit here, really resonates with Jewish people who know their Old Testament and know the history of the prophets. What we're talking about here is the dynamic of the 400 silent years. So Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He stops prophesying and 400 years, twice the length, It was exactly what phil was talking about why sometimes we condense the um the history of the bible 400 years twice the history of america god has not spoken to a prophet to give israel any direction whatsoever and so in these long 400 years this longing for another isaiah another jeremiah another hosea to give them direction to give them hope to give them some sort of sense of what's going on in the world And and the pinnacle of the Old Testament prophets, other than Moses, the pinnacle of the Old Testament prophets, is Elijah. Elijah is the guy who got it done. Elijah is the guy who, in every situation, had the courage to stand up and really come against God's enemies. Elijah is the captain of the captain of the team of prophets. And so what happens is they start looking for an Elijah. In chapter 16 of the same book, Um, Jesus is going to say, who do you say, or who who do they say that I am? And what is the answer? One of the answers is, you are Elijah, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. What they're saying is, you're the end of the 400 years of silence. You're the end. In this context, the longing and expecting for a prophet, we get this interesting, profound response. Not preached enough passage in Matthew 11, 1 through 11, starting in verse 1, if you're still with me, give me an amen. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Okay, imagine the geography. I hope you will go to Jerusalem someday. I hope you will go to Israel. Galilee is Barstow. Does he know where Barstow is? Okay. Jerusalem is San Francisco or Los Angeles. So when you hear Galilee here, remote, agricultural, and not the center. He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. What in the world is he doing in Galilee? He should be in Jerusalem. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that he's up in Galilee, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is coming should we expect someone else John is being held at a fortress called Macarius it's a modern-day Jordan it's about 110 miles from Galilee this is a five to six day journey so it's east of Jerusalem and so he's he's going he's going hey guys I want you to take a week-long journey go up there and confront him what is he doing in Galilee I am here about to be killed Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is Isaiah 32. Why is Jesus quoting from Isaiah? Keep watching this. Verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Now, Following is a bunch of rhetorical questions. Everyone Jesus is talking to knows the answers to these questions. Okay. A reed swayed by the wind. In other words, a weak-willed person who bowed down to Herod. No, of course John the Baptist was not that. He's not weak-willed. If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes, a person of renown with success and popularity, a lot of Twitter followers. No, of course that's not John the Baptist. No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. What then did you go see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you and prepare your way before you. That's Isaiah 35. So he quotes Isaiah 32, and he quotes Isaiah 35. What's interesting, he's not quoting Jeremiah. He's not quoting Daniel. Why is he quoting Isaiah? It's very deliberate. Isaiah is the one who is the clearest prophet on the Messiah being the suffering servant. He's trying to tell him, listen, it's I'm not what you expect. I am what was predicted. I'm not what you expect. I'm the suffering servant. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not given risen to anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than he. In other words, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. In another place in Mark, he tells them um, uh, John the Baptist is Elijah. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that Old Testament system. But that's not what you're to expect. There's something new coming. Why study John's doubt? Why study John's doubt? Go to the next slide, please. Um, First of all, it's just incredible to me that this passage is included in the Bible. There's a thing called fabilization, and if you talk to academics who doubt the Bible, they will often point to areas in the Bible they believe are fabilized, are changed. Let me give you some really clear instruction on this. If you are writing a story that is a fable that is meant to convince people to join your religion, you don't put one of your primary characters in the story and have them have a crisis of faith. You leave this part out. The fact that John has a profound doubt and actually sends his disciples to say, I'm writing you a note, Jesus. Jesus, by the way, are you the one or should we look for another? Because right now, it doesn't look like you're the one to me. You don't put that in a fable. Why study John's doubt? Three bullets here. There's two types of doubt, sincere and sinful. Sincere doubt is when you enter into a circumstance or a question of which you do not have the answer, which it's reasonable to want an answer. Sinful doubt is where you have compromised and you're using doubt as a way to hide your compromise from Jesus. Oftentimes what I'll find is is people will come into my office and they'll say, Kurt, I have a doubt and you'll question them. And they've run into a circumstance that brings up a hard question or they started cheating on their spouse. They started embezzling from their company. They started lying to their friends. And then to make themselves feel better, they went, you know what? I'm not sure I believe this anyway. John's doubt is circumstantial, it's sincere. What does this make us uh, understand? The common denominator is all of us deal with doubt. If John the Baptist didn't get through this journey without some doubt, you and I are going to have doubt. And here's the real question for us and for our friends, your son or daughter that has doubt, your coworker that has doubt, your spouse that has doubt, your friend or family member that has doubt. Doubt can either be a catalyst or a cancer can either create the sort of reaction inside you where you actually go and find a deeper more wonderful faith or it can be a nagging low grade deteriorating condition inside of you when it's not dealt with which one will doubt be is the question for each and every one of us why master this material doubt is unavoidable john the baptist had circumstantial doubt that led to real and important questions if he dealt with doubt so will we three ideas that keep us resilient when we or our friend has doubt. By the way, there is no adolescent without doubt. Someone give me an amen. So if you're not actually prepared as a parent or grandparent to actually handle doubt, then you're not going to help them emerge into a full faith. Okay, three simple ideas, and I'm going to go fast. I'm going to apologize now. I will not be here tonight for the testimony time. I love that time so much. I've got got an HR meeting I've got to go to at 3. Yay, so much joy. Um, Number one, good people face tough times. Now, there's no one in this room that doesn't already know that. But it is so disorienting when we're faithful to God, when we're close to God, When we're faithful to church, faithful to our spouse, faithful to our kids and we hear someone say, your mom has Alzheimer's and we hear someone say, I don't know if I want to keep coming to church and we hear someone say, I don't have enough money to pay this and I don't know where we're going to, when we run into these profound problems, it's disorienting to us. The truth of the matter is good people face tough times. Truly I tell you, it says in verse 11, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the most faithful, the most reliable, the most morally courageous person in the New Testament other than Jesus Christ himself. And he was that way from the womb. In the womb, he's doing praise dances like he's listening to this worship team. And yet here he is in a prison about to be murdered. Verse 2, when John was in prison, is the entire context of this story. Um, Listen to me carefully. John encounters tough times because he was faithful to God. Because. This is the orientation of Jesus. Do not be surprised. In this world, you will have tribulation. Take comfort. I have overcome the tribulation. Those are the two pillars of what our orientation is. It will be hard. Jesus is more powerful. You know, i got to make a confession to you guys. and I'm going to be really vulnerable here. I caused COVID. It wasn't a lab in China. It was me. I caused it. I just It's the only logical conclusion because since I became a Christian, I've had other Christians in my life that have been inviting me to prayer meetings. Anyone here ever gone to a prayer meeting? We used to have them in Christianity. I don't know if we still do now. Yeah, some of us know. And they would say, come to this prayer meeting. And I don't know what it is about old-timey, great, faithful Christians. They always want to have these prayer meetings at 5 a.m. Like you got to be in pain to have revival come. And has anyone been to the 5, 6 a.m. prayer meeting? Okay. And the coffee's bad and Jesus is good. Okay. I went to a lot of those growing up, a lot of those prayer meetings. And at the prayer meetings, we were always encouraged to pray for this. Would you pray for revival in America? And I did with all my heart for years. God, bring revival, bring revival, bring revival. And I thought I was praying, God, increase our baptisms, get marriages back on course, to uh, grab a hold of teenagers' lives. And God did mean all that. And he did hear all that. But God also heard when I was praying for revival, He heard this. I'm going to have to disrupt this culture enough to cause people to look for me. I'm going to have to shake it so that maybe Instagram won't be their priority. Maybe stocks and bonds and GameStop will not be their priority. See, there's a tension biblically, and the tension is between Proverbs and Job. You can see it in much more areas in the Bible other than Proverbs and Job, but Proverbs and Job is the Job is the clearest example. Proverbs says the wise will thrive. Obey God, be faithful, be consistent, be a hard worker, and you'll thrive. And Job teaches us, even the wise will suffer profoundly. Which one's true? There's this great Baptist theologian, and his name is Dr. Bob Butley. Anyone here know of Dr. Bob Butley? He's the 80s, 90s, guys. Go look at him. He's so smart and so biblical. And, and right now, we're tended to, to paint in broad strokes theologically instead of really studying and understanding and grappling. And one of the themes that Bob Utley will say over and over, he's solid evangelical, and he's got a thick, 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 thick southern accent. And Bob Utley will stand up there, and he's just a brilliant man. And he'll say, we want clarity. God wants tension. We want clarity. We just want bullets. We want God to tell us to do this A, B, and C. But God just wants to put you in that little spot where there's tension. What's the tension? Be faithful. You will thrive. But the truth is, all of us will go through a season like Job. There will be moments of profound challenge. Your friend who's battling doubt, help them understand that doubt is normal. Help them understand that it is not wrong or sinful that they doubt. In fact, it could be evidence that they're seeking God at a more profound and beautiful level. That as they walk through doubt, on the other side of doubt is something great. Keep them from being cynical. Show them the hope in the pain and perseverance that is doubt. I had one of the dads come up to me in the free time, and uh, he, his five year old daughter was trying to get on her coat this morning. And she said, why does everything have to be so hard? And, and this guy, and he's a pastor, and he said, he said well, baby, because God wants you to develop character. And she said, I don't know why God wants me to become a character at Disneyland. <laughs> it's a different sort of character. Um, this is nowhere on your notes, but I just put this in the outline. Uh, what do you say to your friend that has doubt? Here's one of the questions I ask him. Uh, who or what, what is often a better question than who? Who or what has upset you? Let's talk about that. I was at Louisiana LSU and I was giving a dorm talk in a very, very large dorm lounge. It was about three quarters the size of this. So the students were kind of scattered all over and there was a lot of noise from the cafeteria and we were doing the Q&A and I didn't even know if it was going well and a few students ask me question. Normally these Q and A's on apologetics they do, they get really hot, but this one didn't get that hot. It was just like a few questions and I'm answering it. And then they said, okay, it's time to go to the next dorm. Cause we just go dorm, 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 dorm like that. And before I could leave this student from the back just comes racing up to me. And I could tell he's a little older, probably a graduate student and he just comes racing up to me and he goes, I can't believe what you said. You said this, that's so untrue. And he just starts peppering me and it's clear this guy is smart and he knows his stuff. And so we just start, I started having this dialogue with him. And he's like, this is not true. And I go, well, have you thought about this? And this is not true. And I can't believe you said that. And this is wrong. And boom, 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 boom. And after a while, I took a little break. And I said, wait, wait, wait. Can I just ask you one question? You've asked me a lot. Can I ask you one? Sure. I said, what Christian hurt you so bad? Said, That's not important. I said, I said obviously, there are people that know this material but don't have your passion. Your passion tells me this is more than just intellectual. What Christian hurt you so bad? I was abused by my uncle, who's a deacon in a church. Who has upset you? Let's deal with that. Let's bring that to God. What has upset you? Let's deal with that. Let's bring that to God. Okay, I gotta move on. First point that you already all know. I got a couple bu- extra reading in there. Good people face tough times. Number two, tough times raise real questions. Oftentimes our most important questions don't happen unless we go through doubt. The greatest questions, we are often asking the question we shouldn't ask. We're often hiding the question we really want to ask. I went and did a dorm talk in um, to kind of explain that for, for years I would go on a tour in the fall and the spring and I'd go to university campuses and we'd do this thing called ask the pastor and I'd go into dorms and we'd serve pizza you could get a lot of students if you just put out free pizza and I would say whatever question and they would start asking me questions so I was invited to Georgetown to do this I thought man this is a really prestigious university this is gonna be great This is gonna be awesome I showed up we th- threw out the free pizza normally like a small crowd would be 150 students for this 20 students show up I'm like oh these Princeton kids are all vegans, so we did the wrong thing. You know, <laughs> I mean, these Georgetown kids. And then we did the Q&A and it was not good. It was not good. The questions were not smart. They were very snarky. They were disrespectful. Instead of an incredible dialogue like I've had on so many campuses, it was it was not good. And I and I walked away from it a little bit discouraged and going, man, I, I don't know about these Georgetown students. I went to my hotel room, called my wife. So I'm on the East Coast. She's on the West Coast. It's pretty late there. And, I, and she said, you need to talk to your daughter. And so I got four-year-old Maddie on the phone. And uh, she said, Dad, I got a question for you. Is hell real? So we had a 15-minute theological dialogue about that. And I said, what do you think about my answer? And she said, all right. I got to stay still pretty harsh to me. I thought she has a more honest question about an important topic than any kid at Georgetown University had tonight God's not afraid of your question Jesus said asking you'll be answered seeking you're fine knocking the door will be open there's not ever a meeting in heaven where God goes come here angels come here prophets uh, Kurtz asked a question I'm a little stumped uh, let's brainstorm this someone get the dry erase board God loves your questions tough times raise real questions Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist expected Jesus to be in Jerusalem. He expected Jesus to be kicking over tables and not waiting for the Passover to do it. When you and I get honest with God about our questions, God gets happy with us. We have to understand how difficult it was for John to ask this question. He had to send people four or five days, five, six days. They had to come back five or six days. John had never questioned Jesus ever before. John was the first one to get it. What did John say? And Phil so brilliantly outlined this to us. There's the Lamb of God. This is how he was introduced. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now he's saying, Jesus, I got to tell you. What is the root of my question is a great question. Thing to ask what is the root of my question see there are askers and what askers want is answers and I don't think God ever is afraid of askers but there are cynics and cynics want fault do you know fault finding is listed in the Bible next to drunkenness and adultery and when we get discouraged and stressed oftentimes we can give ourselves over to that little bit of cynicism that is a fault finding when we come to God and we go, listen, I don't have the answer. I'm not supposing the answer. I'm not looking for the answer. I just need an answer. Some people say,
1: I've never heard
0: from God, Kurt. You know what my advice to you when, when you say that is, first of all, keep going, keep trying, keep listening. The second of all is, ask the real question the question God's already prepared to answer no matter how challenging or troubling it is am I really in the faith am I really trusting Jesus what is at the heart of this question in me for my friend when my friend is dealing with a difficult thing here's what I say is what question do you need answered let me let's me and you talk about that what is it that you really want and, and, I, and don't be afraid To ask the question, why did this happen to my loved one who had cancer? Why did this happen to my family that's been faithful? It's not unreasonable. And what should I do? Keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. I want to encourage you, get this Mark Clark book. Get this Dickerson book. Get the Keller book and keep asking questions. God loves a questioner. Number one, good people face tough times. Number two, tough times produce real questions, and I said all that to tell you this. Your loved ones can't become mature without some doubt. Point three, and I'm going to ask my friend Chris to come to the keyboard in a second. Real questions are what actually builds a deep faith. What builds a stable faith, a strong faith, is when we are actually honest with God. Look at the Psalms, you guys. The psalmists do not pray the way we pray. Go to any of our churches, any of our small groups. Someone open us to pray, Oh Lord, today we just love you and we just ask that you would just come and just help us because we just need you. Our whole world, Lord, is going south very dramatically. But Lord, we're just praying that today you'd just help us. The psalmists are like, God, you promised! where are you god i'm surrounded by my enemies and you promised this wouldn't happen you're gonna step in you're gonna defend me and where are you god that's the bible of course at the end they always throw in and yet i will praise you because they don't want to get hit by lightning they throw that in at the end make sure you you know be honest but still trust god right but to get honest and on that path to honesty They find God's reliability. Here's what God wants for you. The will of God is found in verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. God doesn't want you to stumble. He wants to walk with you and keep you upright. But don't make it a debate. Don't make it a debate with God. Come to God and say, develop deep faith in me. Develop real truth. You know, we all know that debate doesn't work. Don't debate with your doubting friend. Don't debate with that coworker who wants to call you into an argument. Not every fight should you accept an invitation to. Because we all know debate doesn't produce truth. Oh, come on. Someone who went through this last political cycle give me an amen on that one. Debate produces who's the better debater. Doesn't produce deep faith and truth. Every single political debate we've ever watched our whole lives. What do you think about the tax code and what are you going to do about uh, businesses and tax? Well, Jim, I'd just like to start off by saying um, we love the little children uh, and uh, children are the future. Treat them well. Let them lead the way. And um, my opponent here eats puppies. He eats puppies. I have some I'm going to have a press conference on his puppy eating later, and we all know he's related to Satan (laughs) and Russia. (laughs) Right? What does that have to do with anything with the tax code? Debate doesn't produce truth. Real questions do. Real questions produce a deep faith. For my friend, here's what I want to to ask your friend by the way you don't need to have the answers you need to know the guy that has the answers you don't need to be the answer person it is perfectly fine to say i don't know when i'm talking to students i remember the first time i ever did this i was um, at uh, um, virginia university with the they say the best private school in all of America and we had this about a thousand people at lunchtime in the courtyard and I said ask me any question you want to ask and they started popping and some kid asked me a question I said I want to give you a clear well thought-out answer to that question uh, I don't know don't know but I'll find the answer with you if you want to that's okay it's okay to be and I don't know what you need to know is the person who does know the answer Can I pray for you is the question for your friend. So there's this girl named Lauren that we met our first year at Cal State Stanislaus, one of our campus pastors there. And Lauren came from a completely unchurched background, never been to church of any sort in her life. And a friend brought her to our campus ministry. And we're at the beginning of the campus ministry. Come on, Chris, come up and, oh, yeah, turn them on, yeah. This will be so much a better story the second you start playing behind it. This is going to get, like, deep. And... uh, Chris is the best. Isn't he the best? Yes. Give it up for Chris. So this gal, she comes into our ministry, and we're playing just like these guys were this morning. And I don't know if you noticed how Danny just was, like, going. Down. Like, it was like a blur. I couldn't even keep a track of your hand. And we're playing and playing. And she walks in. She's never been in an environment where there's a lot of energy and a guitar and people are talking about Jesus. And so she walks in, and I could see it on her face. Immediately I could see it on her face. And her face said, this is wonderful, this is awesome, but this is also scary, and I feel the love of God, and I don't want to let God into my life. It was just that, you could just see that in people. And and I I thought, God's moving on her life, but she's not going to come back. And sure enough, she left really quick right after the service. And I saw her a couple times on campus, and she kind of avoided me. And I asked a friend who brought her, she said, well, she really liked it. And I said, is she coming back? I don't know. She, she said she was this week, and she didn't. And then one day, just fortuitously, I'm walking home, and I'm going through the parking lot on campus, and she's walking the other way, and she's got this very stressed-out look on her face, just just all stressed out. And I looked at her, and I said, Lauren, I said, it's, it's, it's Pastor Kurt. Are you okay? Do you remember? She looked at me like, oh, the cult leader. You know, she had this <laughs> look. And I walked, and I said, are, are you all right? You look a little stressed out. And she said, I just got called into work, and, I, and I, I told my boss I couldn't work today. I got this big final and it's going to mess up everything. And I got to study, but I can't say no to her because I need this job. And my boss, is just, she makes me do all the work and she doesn't do anything. She always does this thing to me and blah, blah, blah. And she just starts weeping and crying. And she says, I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. I'm like, I do. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, can I pray for you? And her whole body said no. And her mouth said yes which is almost always going to happen. And so I just reached out, and I said, Jesus, I don't know how to resolve this, but you do. Somehow help my friend. Just help her, God. Just look at her heart and the problem that she's in and show her that you're a God who solves these sort of problems. In Jesus' name, amen. And she was like, that was weird. I said, all right. She kind of left. Two days later, I'm sitting out at her book table, campus she comes running across the lawn at me she's got a smile on her face so big it looks like she had a sleepwalking incident and went in the closet and got a hanger stuck in her mouth I mean she just boom and she comes running at me and she's like it worked it worked and I'm not even tuned in exactly to the content I said what she goes stop prayer she goes I got to work and my boss said I shouldn't have called you in today I lean on you way too much. I can see it's causing you stress. I don't want to lose you. You're my best employee. I want you to go back and study for that test, and I'm giving you a raise. Are you saying to me, Kurt, that every time you pray for someone, it's going to result in them getting a raise or something like that? That's absolutely what I'm saying. I'm saying that God will answer in His way, in His time, for the maximum impact on developing True, real, deep faith. Lay hands on your children and pray for them. Lay hands on your spouse. Sir, put your arm around your wife for one minute every moment and pray for her and see what it does for your marriage. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your government officials. Say, God, I don't got the answers, but I know who does. And watch and see what day Jesus does to our downs. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? The bottom line application for all of us in all of this is pray. I can't tell you how many people have come to me this year with really profound, profound problems. And I said, well, you got all this complication in your marriage, in your business, with your teenager. I said, you're not going to like my first answer, but it's the best one. I wish I could give you three points to solve it all that's been going on for 15 years now. I'm going to give you the best answer any pastor can give. Have you prayed about this? Have you gotten your prayer closet and gotten desperate before God? Have you written him a note? Jesus, I used to believe that you're going to show up, but you're so far away in Galilee right now. You're so far from this prison I'm in. Are you the one, Jesus? I believe Jesus is going to answer back in his time. The blind see. The lame walk. The poor have heard the good news. That Jesus is going to encourage you. There is a Messiah. There is a suffering Lord who's come to die for your sins and cares about every hair. When i was 15 years old i went down to my sister's bedroom in the basement of our tiny little house nine of us living in this house we had an unfinished basement and my sisters lived down there it was the 1970s so when i snuck into her room i parted the beads to get in some of you remember the beads and she had a cinder block bookshelf with albums on it and i was there to steal the double album Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. And right next to her albums was her books. And in the books was a Catholic version of the Bible called the Good News Bible for today's modern man. And whatever reason going on in my ADD saturated life, my acne on my acne, my awkward adolescence didn't fit in, didn't know, didn't have direction. I that Bible just got my eye, and I stole her album, and I stole my first Bible. <laughs> and I took it back to my bedroom. I lived, I was on the bottom bunk of bunk beds made for elementary students. And here I was, a teenage boy, just huddled in this little bunk bed. And I had a bally old red uh, uh, bedspread, and I put it over my head. And it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I got my flashlight out, and I opened my Bible. And I began to read. And it just opened to the book of Matthew. I don't know why. I read the entire book of Matthew, and then I I started to read Mark, and I was like, this is the Reader's Digest version of that other one. I'm just going back to that other one. I had no idea why it repeated the story four times. I, 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 I I knew nothing about nothing. All I knew is that when I was reading this book, the book I read to you today, the book of Matthew, I fell in love with this person called Jesus. The way he dealt with with, with sinners, the way he dealt with religious leaders, the way he dealt with the apostles, the disciples, the way he picked them, what they did, he touched the leper. And then he taught the Beatitudes. And just every night, I would read it over and over again. And after, like, my fifth reading, I got to the seventh chapter and the seventh verse, my theme verse, my life verse, my why I'm here verse. Jesus said, ask and you'll be answered. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks is answered. All who seek, find. Whoever knocks, I'll open the door. And for a little moment, at this point I'm reading it and just going, it's great literature, it's a great story, there's a great character. In that little moment, I walked out of fable, I walked out of myth, and I had this little seed of a thought that was given to me by the grace of God. And here was the seed of the thought. Maybe he lived. Maybe it's not just a book. Maybe God is real. Now, God doesn't speak to 15-year-old boys in Omak, Washington, but maybe. And so I tried. You see, I'm here and I have faith because of doubt. Doubt brought me to Christ. In that little moment, I doubted myself. I doubted my direction. I doubted that I was alone, and I believed for just a minute that maybe God was real, His name was Jesus, and He meant what He said when He told me to ask. And so I bowed my head and I prayed the hardest prayer I could think to pray, two questions, the hardest two questions. I almost said, oh God, I'm going to ask you these two questions, and if you answer these two questions, maybe just maybe you're real. Here they are. Question number one. Why won't Debbie Wildermuth go out with me? Oh, when you're 15, that's a deep theological question. Question two, why do I fight with my mom so much? Went to sleep, got up the next morning, went to school, forgot about all that, just walking down the hallway of Omac High School. And right by this teacher named Russ Brantner's room, he taught math. God answered my doubt. It wasn't audible, but I knew immediately what he was saying. Um, if I could put it into words, it was, it was just, just the, the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit just dropped this truth right into my heart. If I could If I could put it into words, it's like God just right then said to me, Kurt, the answer to both your prayers is the same answer. The reason that girl won't go out with you and the reason that you fight with your mother so much is because, Kurt, you are profoundly selfish and a sinner. And it sounds harsh to say it out, But in the moment that he said it to me, it was the most benevolent, loving, wonderful thing that had ever been said to me because what he was saying was, I know you. I know what you've done wrong. I know your most secret sin. And yet, I love you, Kurt. That was the moment. I didn't pray some prayer at an altar. I just opened my heart wide and said, this God, I trust you. I trust you. I didn't even know what the phrase born again was then. I hadn't even read the book of John. I knew this. The God of the universe had answered my question and knew my name even in my sin. And from that moment of asking to this, I've never forgot that answer. Can I ask you to bow your head right now, every one of you? Phil did such a wonderful job presenting the gospel the other day. And I know several of you prayed that prayer with him. I'm wondering if there's even just one person here that wanted to pray the prayer of accepting Christ into your life, but you didn't. I'm not gonna make you come forward or raise your hand or do anything like that. I'm just gonna ask you in a moment between you and God, if you're ready right now, in all your doubt, to take the life He's given you and give it back to Him directly. To trust Him. I'm not asking you to join an organization, a church, or a denomination. I'm asking you to follow your Creator. If that's your moment, right now, pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart. God, I give you my life. This life you've given me, I surrender it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that He died on the cross for me. And now, God, show me. Father, I just pray for everyone that prayed that prayer. Jesus, surround them with the sense of your presence. Grow them in your truth. Take them on the wonderful journey you've taken me on these decades. The journey of seeing that when we ask, you do answer. When we knock, you open the door. Father, I pray for all of the in here who are doubting their faith all the kids all the sisters all the brothers all the spouses all the co-workers God I pray that we would keep asking questions with them give us faith to pray for them and with them and God let us see you answer those questions one by one father use this time of chaos cause people to doubt their own direction and put their faith in you. We pray for every child, every student, every friend, every family member represented here, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said.
1: There you go. Thank you, Kurt, my friend. I, I was thinking about it as you were telling your story of of the Good News Bible and um, the Elton John album, Yellow Brick Road. My wife would have said to you, now you didn't steal them. You just borrowed them from the lending library. And it had a profound... <laughs> he said he put, he gave that Bible back to his sister three years ago, or three years later. Um, what a profound morning! Just thank you so much. Um, would you pray for our friend as he's getting ready to leave, and he's got a three-hour drive back home, and some meetings that he has to attend to that he'd probably rather be staying here? So, Father, thank you for the anointing that you've placed on Kurt's life how you have equipped him to teach your word in such a deep and profound way. How oftentimes he can answer a question, take us from A to Z in a matter of moments, and you go, oh, how obvious. Lord, thank you for that gifting upon his life, and may he continue to use that in the years to come to just impact people's lives for Christ. Uh, impact younger and older generations as he does now. Thank you. Uh, we just praise you and, and just ask that he would just have a, a, a wonderful three hours in that trip home, just uh, thinking about even what's taken place in this past week right here at Mount Hermon. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Thank you, my brother, so much. Well, folks, you are dismissed to go carbo-load, and uh, I know you couldn't wait for that, and we will see you back here shortly. You'll have that, the little uh, video that'll come up, and then I'll start screaming and yelling at you to come back in for round two, okay? Enjoy your time on the break, and have a g- rich time of fellowship.